It's always nice to start the show with a letter, and this one just came in, so we're going to lead with the most recent. Mitchell from Brooklyn writes, Dear Alex, love the chat with James Duvall from Donnie Darko. He was funny and smart and very cool. But, (laughs) anytime you see a but, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. But, fan as I am of your show, I have to call you out. You kept saying that James played Frank the Rabbit in Donnie Darko, but that's a mistake. Donnie Darko is my all-time favorite movie, and I've watched it at least a hundred times. Anyway, I've checked the cast list on IMDb just to make sure I'm right, and I am. Not only is Frank the Rabbit not even a character in Donnie Darko, James Duvall isn't even in the movie. Donnie Darko has amazing performances, but they're by Johnny Depp, Al Pacino, Michael Madsen, and Paul Giamatti. But sorry, no James Duvall and no Rabbit. Hate to be the one to correct you. Keep up the usually great work. Mitchell, thank you for your note. I appreciate you writing. And I can assure you, just to start off with, that I'm not smoking crack. Um, But let's move on to your concern about the movie. The movie, I believe that you're thinking of, the movie that you claim is your favorite movie of all time, I think you're thinking of Donnie Brasco, the 1997 American crime film starring, yeah, Johnny Depp, Al Pacino, and uh, Paul Giamatti. Donnie Brasco, Mitchell, not Donnie Darko. Uh, So, no, I'm not smoking crack, but maybe you are. I don't know. Uh, I don't think, look, Donnie Brasco, great movie, but a hundred times, that's a lot of Donnie Brasco's. It is. It's a lot. Mitchell, step away from the Brasco and get into the Darko. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Sawdust on the floors, wooden tables, cigarettes put out in plastic cups. No matter how much I drink in here, it never seems to get me drunk. guest today on the program, Mariel Buckley. Let me tell you a little bit about Mariel Buckley. The Canadian-born Mariel Buckley is a singer-songwriter of tremendous depth and sensitivity. Her songs are confessional and observational, and they are rife with honesty, wisdom, strength, and vulnerability. 
Her new album, Everywhere I Used to Be, is a stirring collection that's filled with nuance and moody undertones. Thanks to the production of Marcus Paquin, who has worked with Arcade Fire and The National, this is an album that's loaded with texture. Yeah, it's country music, but it's country music played through layers of haunting fathoms. And the result is one of the biggest surprises of 2022. For me, this album is an instant classic, and it brings to mind Daniel Lanois' work on Emmylou Harris's Wrecking Ball. It's resonant, it's affecting, it's incredibly moving. Let's meet her, shall we? Here we go. Me and Mariel Buckley having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Edmonton. I just moved up here a couple of years ago, so I'm just at home chilling. Now, I know you're originally from Calgary, but as a kid, you must have made some trips to Edmonton. We did uh, We did lots of hockey tournaments up here when I was a kid, so I came and played sports. And then, yeah, as soon as I turned like 16, 17, we'd drive up to see, see bands that wouldn't make it down to Calgary. So that was pretty fun. Is the stuff that comes to Calgary, is it is it primarily country or folk, not a lot of indie bands, or do indie bands come to Calgary? No, Calgary's pretty happening now. Like, I think, I feel like back in the day, it might have been a bit more of a Canadiana stop-off because it still isn't big enough for the big, like, international tours. Um, But now, no, there's a huge indie rock scene uh, in Calgary. There's all different kinds. There's tons of different clubs there now. But I think back in the day, it was a bit more traditionally minded, for sure. Back in the early 2000s, I got into Cor Blunt. Is is he from Calgary? He's from, I think he's from Alberta. I don't, I don't know specifically where, but like I've played with Corb a bunch of times and he is the best, the best Albertan. He, yeah. Well, he just seems like a cool guy. Oh man. So cool. So very uh, thoughtful about his songs and just like really quirky and interesting. And yeah, I really like Corb a lot. The, um, the perception I've always had is that Canadian musicians have each other's back uh, in a way that American musicians don't seem to. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but do you feel a kind of fellowship amongst your your peers? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, like anywhere, I think it uh, it can be tough to find that, but but certainly in Canada, there is mostly a fear of, of support and encouragement. And that's so great, especially in country and folk. It's, it's a small world and we're all trying to crack, you know, crack into the U.S., um, as individuals so it's it's helpful when we all kind of band together and and lift our buddies up but yeah it does seem to happen a lot up here which is great and cracking in to the u.s market what does that look like now versus say 10 or 15 years ago is it different is it a different idea yeah i mean certainly just even because of the way record sales have changed it's like it's you know it's so difficult to think about how to plan a tour down there and and kind of break even um and the, you know, the visa application stuff, I think is pretty similar. It's just gotten, you know, more expensive and more kind of gate kept a little bit, but honestly, it's not too bad. Cause once you get down there, you know, the, the population's so dense that it, you know, you pay off your visa fees just so quickly, if you can get a few shows strung together. So it really is worth trying to get down there, but it can be a tough one to crack. 
Yeah, I would imagine so. And I, and I also think that the idea of, you know, coming down to the U.S., there's a huge market, I think, for what you do. I mean, right? There's like your music is is very much loved by by the United States population. So you must have found a, your people. You must have found your crowd. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we've now I've kind of done I've done the East a couple times. So like New York, Vermont, and New York seems to be really happening always. Um, and then Nashville obviously has been really good to me and. Uh, Montana I did a couple years ago as well and I loved Montana I would love to go back there I'm in the Bay Area how does California track for you sounds amazing it's warm isn't it (laughs) it's really warm today is gonna be really hot Um, yeah it's gonna be pretty brutal today Um, but I know that there's a huge there's a huge group of people here who would just totally embrace your music but you haven't played here yet no, and I mean, we're kind of working on that right now. We're just getting a U.S. agent together so we can do kind of the West Coast run. Because I do, you know, I can see it on all my stats and what have you. There are lots of people in California and L.A. and all over the place that are that are itching to kind of have us. So I would, I can't wait to get down there. What prompted the move to Edmonton? What was that strategically? Was that career-wise a smart place to go? Mm, not really. Like it's, you know, Alberta. So it's like you're kind of in the prairies regardless I came up here because I met someone who has a job up here um so she works full-time and needs to be in in town so for me it's an easier relocation because I can work from anywhere right exactly right right have you started thinking in terms of I know that like post-pandemic um you know you look at the way that you put groceries on the table right and you you become kind of you develop these kind of strategies about economizing if I if I go here and do it this way and right have you found yourself thinking differently post-pandemic in terms of the the fiscal element of your career oh for sure yeah I think I'm you know I'm I was pretty conscious before but even even more so now uh and especially because there was that kind of big lag period I'm just trying to really you know mostly what I'm trying to do is watch everything I'm spending and also dump as much back in to the business right now as possible because you know ultimately you got to have some cash to make some cash so it'll probably be like a two or three rebuilding year or a few like a couple of years i would think to rebuild to where i was at so just trying to be a little more careful a little more conscious what about health wise i know that we always think about like how it is for you know like for for those who goes to go to shows like us like the audience but the performer is very much at risk as well i mean so do you, how do you how do you also um, contextualize your own health because you got to stay healthy to to play right so you can't get sick totally. so yeah well I mean yeah the pandemic was huge just because you know I came off like a year and a half of heavy touring and I was I was really tired and sick and I had a vocal polyp so I had to get surgery on that and then I had you know I realized how much I was drinking so I kind of had to cut back big time on that and certainly the pandemic just gave me a little bit of space uh, to sort of look at those habits as to how they were pertaining to you know, tour life. And I, you know, you also find that if you're drinking your face off every night, you're spending a lot of the stuff you're supposed to be making. Mm. So, you know, when you're talking about being responsible, I just, it was just a really easy time for me to look at it and go, okay, how do I take this from like this level up again? Because I, you know, ultimately I'd like to do this for a very long time. So you basically were like, okay, fiscally health-wise, you tackled it all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that just, I think that just happens sometimes though, don't you? Like I hit 30, kind of right around that time too and I just felt a big like shift in my life and wanted to make a bunch of changes which 
I don't do very often. So I think it was probably a lot of stuff was overdue. The, the was the polyp was that really stressful in terms of like what does this mean is it was did you feel that it was sort of like not career threatening but it did it scare you in that way yeah for sure and you know especially because there's not a whole lot of good ENT doctors right it kind of takes a long time to get in to see one so once I did I, I was reassured that it wasn't you know a node because that's a little bit worse but uh, I mean I had to spend eight weeks in silence and then a bunch of, yeah, it was, it was very stressful, but also it, you know, again, it kind of gave me some time to, to, to listen a little bit more and sort of just like really appreciate that I was not having to use my voice right now. And it, uh, I really enjoyed that kind of couple months of quiet time. What was happening inside your head when you couldn't, you had to be silent. Were you, were you composing songs? Were you songwriting? Yeah, totally. There was a couple that I would just like but it, it gets so hard once you get, you know, a little closer to an idea and then you're like, oh, I'll play it on the guitar because then immediately your voice just wants to do something. So I was just trying to like be really deliberate about not going too far. But I was, yeah, I had little notepads all over the house and just was trying to, it was really cool. I felt like I was maybe even more creative because my mouth was turned off. Right. When you got the green light to be able to use your mouth again and you could you could sing again. Were you, what was that moment? Like, that was, must have been pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I definitely, uh, I definitely went for it a bit hard that first couple of days, but then, then it was great, and it's been, uh, it's been like brand new ever since. And did your voice? Did you feel that it got stronger with the with the removal of that? Did it feel like did it noticeably different, or you, did, you couldn't really tell? Oh yeah, my high register immediately came back, and then wow. just my longevity and my health. Um, like now I'm a bit croaky, but when I had the polyp, I was like, oh, I couldn't, it sounded like I was whispering all the time. So it didn't hurt, but it just was taking away so much of my dynamic and my range. So when it was removed, it was like night and day. Is that something that just happens from overuse? Is that a common thing for, for a singer to, to deal with? I think a lot, yeah, I think a lot of singers get polyps and yeah. notes. Like the polyp I had was like a hemorrhage polyp. So it's like I shouted once and it slapped together and made a little blister. But like nodes are like calluses that people get over time just from, you know, different ways your folds work. I don't really understand the science, but like almost everyone I know has had a polyp at some point, which is kind of crazy. And then, yeah, totally. And then now that you, when you come back, do you approach singing a, di a different way to protect your voice or is there, are there ways to avoid it? Totally. I mean, you know, just trying to do even a little bit of warming up helps a lot. And then uh, also, you know, cutting back on the, on the bad stuff. Like, you know, I try to have like one coffee a day and uh, you know, I don't smoke anymore. I didn't smoke that much, you know, in, in the prior to the pandemic, but I was certainly smoking more. Uh, now I don't smoke. So just, there's quite a few changes that I made that also made it a lot easier. Someone sent me a clip of Guns N' Roses doing I can't remember what song they were doing. They're like, oh, check this out. This is like from a couple of weeks ago. And I listened and like Axl Rose doesn't have a voice anymore. Like it's gone. It's totally yeah. gone, right? Yeah. And, I have, and it's hard to listen to because it feels to, it feels like it might be not pleasant for him to be doing it, right? Um, and so I, do you think in terms of, you know, you're talking about longevity. I mean, I don't know if that guy was thinking about it. He kind of blew it out, you know? I don't know if he was thinking about that. Maybe he was. Um, but I guess a, a voice can age. And so you have to sort of guard it like a flame, right? A little bit. I mean, I think back in the day, it was like not a thing, right? Everybody was just like, make the record, have the party, sell, you know, sell the shows. And, yeah. and I think really fun and like totally fair. But yeah, you know, I think 
the, the wellness mindset of how hard the work actually is that we do has changed a lot. And, you know, yeah, I would just like to have it sound mostly okay. You know, like Emmylou Harris, is a great example, like her voice still sounds so good. And I don't think she does anything super special probably, but she just, you know, she probably doesn't treat it like crap. Yeah, no, it does. It does feel like a well-protected instrument. Totally. Did you watch Joni Mitchell at the, at the um, folk festival a couple of weeks ago? At Newport, yeah. I was oh my God. Going through all those clips, I just, I can't believe her. She's so good still. It's just like, she's the best. She, yeah, I mean, yes, she's amazing. And, and, and her voice had, had changed years ago anyway. It got seemed a little bit deeper, and, but it's, but it's still, still very dramatic and beautiful, but not as high. Yeah, it's, it's weird to hear that register drop. Like that's happened to me a few times. I've just gone up you know, from where I started singing, I think I was a lot further down and now I've just got more up here. But I imagine when you get a little bit older, you lose some of that, some of that high range too. But yeah, I still liked, uh, it's got such a good quality. You're right. It's very dramatic. It's very dramatic. Yeah. How is your daily practice? Are you, do you sing every day? Do you, or do you practice every day or do some days you, you skip it or? No, I, I like, I like to do it. So I'm, I usually sing every day, whether I'm practicing with my guitar or not. I just like, I have lots of playlists. I'm always listening to music. So I'm always singing along or singing a harmony or something like that. And then I try to do guitar every day, if not every, you know, couple days and for about 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah, because you, you seem like a very disciplined artist. Well, yeah, it's fun. It's just so funny because it's like, I don't think I was until <laughs> I had time to sit down and be like, I really like this part of my job. I really want to be good at this for a long time. And like, it's just fun to, go deeper with it because music's one of those things that like you can never know everything right that's right right it's a trick that you really can't master no never even if you're pretty good you know yeah <laughs> even if you're pretty good um i years ago i interviewed Kristen hirsch from uh throwing muses and she said something that i wanted to ask you about because uh, i think about it all the time because i always i've said it before in this show i have never really felt comfortable um in any you know and even when I'm accepted in something, I never feel comfortable with the acceptance. I don't, I kind of don't trust it. I've always felt like an outsider. And, you know, I kind of get the feeling that you have too. And I'm wondering, oh, yeah. like, how did you, how did you find your people? Like, how did you find your teammates? Because Kristen Hirsch said that her son had told her, you got to find your teammates. You got to find your teammates in life, right? And once you do, everything's fine. Um, how long did that take for you? And was that difficult at first? Yeah, I mean, like, I still, you know, I still struggle with just the same thing you're saying. It's just, there's like a guard up and you're just, you know, I'm not very trusting and I'm working really hard on that. But I think really, I just had enough experiences with the right and wrong kind of people to know who I am able to have around me. And I just got a lot more comfortable kind of knowing that a lot of people are not the folks I want to, you know, work with or hang with. And that's okay. It's just, it's a smaller circle thing for me feels better. And those people, I feel like, just also reveal themselves to you over time. You know, like, the more you, you play whatever rooms or for whoever in whatever city, there's always, even if it's like a weird night, there's always like five people or more that are going to be really into it. And so if you just focus on like, always trying to get them to like, you know, just get into it and become a fan or a friend, like that's, to me, that's, uh, that's how you find them. When you decided to embark on a career in music, did you have the support of your parents? Were your parents like, like totally had your back on this or was it a bit of a struggle? 
honestly, well, my brother is, my older brother is a musician. So, you know, they kind of already had one go down the path. And then (laughs) I think for them, it's like, go for it. But it needs to be, you know, if you want it to be a career, you have to treat it like a job. And I I really appreciate my parents instilling that in me because it, it makes me treat it sometimes like a job. And, you know, it's also really fun, but I also need to remember that I have to pay my bills. That's actually really good advice because it's sort of like you can't just dabble in it, right? You have to immerse yourself. And that was that was actually really wise parental advice. They were very good for that. They always just said, like, you can, you know, you're going to be poor for probably a long time. And then you'll maybe then you'll finally break even and start making some cash. But if you go all the way in and try and learn everything you can, you know, you can't go wrong. And at least if you don't sort of make it, you've uh, you've given your 110 percent. Okay, your brother broke them in. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. 100%. So yeah. that must have helped. Um, what in terms of watching his career and seeing how he has done it, was that a pretty good template for you of how to how to follow? Totally. Yeah, he, and I mean, it was so different cuz we're we're like almost 8 years apart in age, so there was quite a just a shift in the culture of of listening rooms in Calgary when he had started versus, you know, I had just turned kind of 18. So it was, it was interesting to see just how, you know, how many rooms in one city he would play. And like, it was a really, really important time for, for me because yeah, he was the first one that got me all those local gigs, all those happy hour, you know, two hour slots in the afternoon where you can just sharpen your skills. Like he was, uh, he was always really good about getting me, getting me in those places. So I heard Jerry Seinfeld talk about how he really prefers the company of comedians, because I think that they sort of, he they get there's a shorthand there's an understanding there's um they sort of get the experience right do you do you prefer the company of musicians because you guys can talk shop is that is there something about that or do you prefer to kind of keep that separate I like both like I spend you know I spend so much time with musicians and that's like it really fills my soul to chat with people about their art like it I love doing that but I also think that not doing that all the time is is good. It offers good perspective. I like to I like to go see people that you know work different kinds of jobs, and yeah, I like to be as well balanced as I can. But certainly, I love to talk shop a lot. I love to talk about music and listen to it all all the time. So, yeah, and I, I also think that you like during the pandemic. I think there was a lot of phone conversations happening with artists going like, "Hey, so what are we gonna do? <laughs> what's what's gonna happen?" Yeah, what- yeah, totally. Right? No, absolutely. Like, do like do like or can we survive? Can we do this? Oh yeah, lots of uncertainty and fear and you know, even worse for, you know, my buddies down in the states just cuz there's there's no government support there for art at all. And there wasn't a ton up here either, but like certainly more. So it's uh it was really kind of scary to see and you, you also can't help anybody when you can't help yourself. So that's equally distressing. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Canadian Arts Council, is that right? What is the... There's a few, I mean, there's a bunch. The, each province has one. There's the Canada Arts Council. There's Factor. Um, not, and they were all suffering too, right? So not a lot of them were giving out bursaries, but uh, there was still, you know, support for those that really needed it, which was important for sure. When you started playing live, when you, when you were like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. This is who I am. And suddenly there's people... I, I never really thought about this, but there's people staring at you as you are playing the things that come from deep inside your soul, right? So the vulnerability is happening on more than one level, right? It's like you're being stared at, 
they want to be entertained or moved or stirred and you are revealing something that you wrote and composed right you couldn't get more vulnerable than, than this position you put yourself in how did that land with you when you first started it and has that gotten better in terms of how you feel about it uh, yeah i mean i i think it's uh you don't really realize at first how vulnerable it actually is when you're just doing the sort of happy hour stuff and you're practicing but it once you start to get people's attention slowly it does really become obvious you're like oh my god uh and i think you know there are times when it still is very overwhelming um in a in a, in a good way it really pushes me to like try and do a good job while i'm performing but yeah i mean it's uh it's a weird thing for sure but i think the older that i get it's it's maybe my favorite way to also be vulnerable i can't really do, i'm not very good at it in you know in uh in real life all the time i'm pretty good at like you know talking crap or whatever but it's it's hard to open up for me sometimes so i feel now like the, like the shows are almost a way of me getting to do that a little bit i've played a motel bar
an introvert growing up? Yeah, definitely. Like really, really sensitive, just kind of introverted kid. Still liked to be around people and stuff, but uh, but definitely more in my own head than anywhere else. So when you get on stage, and so we can say you're still an introvert, I mean, it didn't change, right? So when you get on stage and you perform, a performative um, vocation is not one that would be ideal, you would think, for an introvert, right? Um, but you get to kind of be a projection of yourself. Um, does that take a lot out of you, though? Like, after a show, do you feel like, do you feel kind of drained, or do you feel energized? Yeah, I mean, certainly there's always an element of, like, you've just kind of dumped everything, and right. then you have to pack up and load out and do it again the next day but it's it's less uh less draining than it used to be because I just love I just love the uh I just love doing the shows with you know with a musician or another band there's so much uh there's so much more that I can draw from even though I'm introverted it's like the experiences of being on stage now have gotten to a point where it's it's more rewarding and less um less draining and do you see like, so let's just say you do the show and that like after the show, you run into a fan at the merch table or at the bar. Do you still feel that you can access the person you were on stage or do you feel that it's sort of like a diminished version of that? It depends fully on the night, but most of the time I think I'm able to like, because really I'm not like weird or like, you know, like guarded with people in, in any way. I like love to chit chat and like get to know who's who's there and where they're from so I'm pretty good at, at getting it together but if I'm you know if we're at the end of a three-week leg I might be a little less <laughs> less able to be uh super affable yeah sure sure but uh, but meeting but meeting fans is part of I guess the show oh yeah I mean it's and it for me it's like the show is also like a very authentic representation of who I am so it's like meeting the fans is like, yeah, totally. It's part of the thing. I, you know, people bought a ticket. If I'm, if my voice isn't too tired, I want to go out and fucking hang out. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. How are you in terms of social media? Cause that's also part of the, this sort of representation of you. Do you feel a kind of pressure to keep that up? Is it kind of, is it kind of annoying? Do you like it? Like where, where are you with social media? Uh, I mean, all of us love hate it, I think, because it's like a gateway to some stuff that uh, that does bring you closer to accessing more people. So I try to be conscious of that. And, and I do use it like I try to use it well. I try to like figure out how the apps work. I hate doing that. But, you know, I try to do it. And then I'm not like really into making content. But if I need to make something specific, I'll ask. So I'm pretty like I'm pretty down with it. I don't it's hard for me to sometimes disconnect. And that's like, that's the thing I think every artist and business owner would say they struggle with is like, it's fine when I have to use it and it helps me with my business, but it also like, it can get really exhausting to be on your phone all the time. Well, yeah. And also the exhausting part is if you post something which you think is, oh, this is going to really land. And then like, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for that, it's just like, I just can't put anything personal in that stuff. Just like, be honest and genuine, let people connect with it if they do. And if it doesn't pick up, it's not the day. Right, it's not the day. It's interesting, because I have thought to myself, like, you know, because I'm a writer, and I also have the podcast, and I think, like, does it work? Like, I feel like if I was Stephen King people would come to me, right? And people, oh, yeah. we, we want to know the cult of personality. We want to know what's coming out next. We want to follow this person because we know him. Um, so there's even parts of me that wonder, like, does it really work? And I, and I struggle with that sometimes. I don't know. I don't know either. I think, like, 
you know, like so many things in this particular business, it's like we're extended in 300, you know, different directions and trying to do every job and, you know, also handle our, our PR and our distribution stuff. And so I don't know if any of it really, you know, quote unquote works, but I just think for me anyway, it helps me to feel better if I'm just trying to inch along in every little facet that I can. Um, but I don't think that it's like, you know, I do still think the most valuable thing you can do is just give people a good show because that's where you make fans is at a, at a show. You seem like you really are on the road quite a bit. Oh yeah. All the time. I love All the time. Yeah. That must be, okay. So two things. So one, that must be hard in terms of having a, like a relationship because you're away. Right. So that's, that's tricky. Um, and also I wonder just in terms of the road itself, do you, you must also like it out there. So there's a bit of a cognitive dissonance in terms of like, I'd like to be home with the person that I'm with, but I also like being with the fans and on the road. So how do you, I mean, that's a hard question, but how do you balance that? Well, no, I mean, it's a great question because I think it's like anyone who travels a lot for work, it's hard, but uh, I've gotten really good, you know, over the last little while of just kind of figuring out you know, what I need while I'm on the road trying to do my work. And I'm also at a point now where when I go out on tour, I'm not losing thousands of dollars. So it's like me leaving for tour isn't as sad because, you know, my partner's also staying home and knows that I'm, I'm doing some work and bringing home some, you know, some cash for both of us. So that's, that's helpful. She also works so much at her job and is super, super independent um, that way. So that super helps as well, because it's just like both of us are really kind of deep in our work and our passions um, and we make time to talk uh, whenever it, you know it's convenient or available but the relationship's quite healthy and, and strong so like if I don't talk to her for a few days it's not the end of the world hmm. um, but yeah it normally I think it would be very tricky but thankfully both of us have enough you know enough tolerance for this lifestyle and see the good things that it brings so it's not actually that tricky for us which is you know knock on wood I'm sure yeah. that there will times that that will change and uh you know as the you know it goes on we're like four years in now I'm sure it'll get tougher um but you know at, at the very least um we support each other in what we want to do on and off the road so uh as long as I can show up for her while I'm away I think that's kind of the most important thing but I yeah like and like you said I love being on the road so it's like you got you got to also not show up to those conversations like oh I did the coolest thing today when I was traveling and, right you know <laughs> That one's really tough. So it's right. just about meeting people where they're at and trying to, you know, trying to keep, trying to just contain it a little bit. Right. It's like, I'm having so much fun here. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah. I'm going on and taking care of things. It's like, right. Yeah. Right. It's sort of like, I'm having a great time, but I wish I was having a better time at home. A little bit. It's like, you know, it, and when you're at home, you're like, man, I wish I was playing shows. And then when you're on the road, eventually you get to a point and you're like, man, I want to go home. So it's just, right. you know, it's just the grass is greener scenario, but you just try and be, try and be showing up in your best self, no matter where you're at. Are you good at being home? Like, or, or are you always thinking about like, you know, the next, in other words, like ro road life is pretty cool and it's, and it has a certain demand to it, but are you good at being home and just, and just being a person hanging out? Totally. I like love being at home. And I, I got good at that again over the, the thing, the pandy there. I just was like, I had to be home. So I was like, well, I better, I better get good at sitting and thinking 
nothing or just trying to relax for a little bit. So I'm not good at like nesting or any of those things, but I am getting a lot better at just like hanging out when I'm at home. Nesting meaning like working on stuff around the house. No, I'm good at projects, but like decorating, making a space comfortable. Like I, like I'm like still, I think in the musician bachelor era and I'm like, Oh, the mattress can just be on the floor, which is, it's not floor, but like I have the low cell standard sometimes it's like, come on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. The mattress is not going to be on the floor. Um, but you, but I, I get what you're saying. Cause as a <clears throat> sort of a, as a, bachelor musician you probably had to like improvise and sleep on the mattress on the floor and so you're used to that and so nesting almost feels like oh, I don't need to do all that because I can I can I can do I can do it the bare bones way well it almost feels like a and at first it feels like an inconvenience and then you're like what it's so dumb like creating a nice calm quiet space for you to recharge is not dumb uh it's no. just but it is interesting how your mentality has to shift a little bit. So I'm working on that. Yeah. And I think that the, the creative space is such an important thing. I mean, I know that you're probably able to ride on the road in a car, on a train, you're probably, I'm sure you can do that. Um, but what about a clean, well-lit place where it's just you and a guitar and maybe a cup of tea, something genteel like that? Oh, buddy. I, I mean, I wrote a lot of this record just like that because it was, again, I was at home and I had a home office. It wasn't very well set up, but it was like I had a desk and I had my guitar and I had a notepad and I would get up at seven and just work. And it was like, I was like, oh my God, the structure, it's amazing. So yeah, it's funny how much I really, I do like that now, the older I get. Oh, look at that. That's a good admission. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like how surprised you are by that. Yeah. Well, I didn't think that would be the case, but here we are. I know, I know author friends of mine who do what you said. They get up at seven and they write till 12. They've got the pad of paper, the cup of tea. They do that. And I got to tell you, they produce. I mean, like the work comes when there's a regimented kind of approach to it. They're knocking out books in a couple of months. You know, they're, they're doing it. They're not writing it on, on napkins in the back of punk rock shows. They're actually doing it you know in a very job-like way totally yeah and I think that like that for me that combination of like having the tour stuff from the back of the notebook or the the green room when I'm just you know thinking whatever and then having time at home to to flesh those ideas out over a little bit longer it's really it's really nice so yeah I certainly see that there it's very valuable to be able to do both but there is a lot of uh you know I, I had a lot of quiet space and I was more productive when I had a regimented routine and a little more space to get stuff done. So, you know, now I know. Yeah. And also, you know, as you move on in this industry, efficiency becomes a really important thing, right? Like you've got to knock, knock these songs out, get this album going, knowing you're going to be on the road, um, you know, creating time for the creative space becomes, you, you become, I think, better boundaried around those things. Yeah, well, you kind of have to, like, you know, that I mean, in the arts or your own business, there's just not a lot of clear boundaries to begin with. So, as you say, when you need to get more efficient, you have to get better at like telling, telling people when you need time to decompress and, and work, so that you can keep being the output, you know, performing artist that, you know, that sometimes makes money in some regard. <laughs> right. Well, I told myself, so I, in my day job, I teach university. And oh, cool. As soon as the semester was over, I was like, okay, start writing. 
because as soon as September hits, it's over, right? In terms of like doing it at a really saturating level. Um, so I, I wrote a book this summer because I was like, I have to. I, I have to get it done. Otherwise, forget it. It's a novella. Um, and uh, and I, I did it. So, But I also knew I've got three months. So I have to do it within that time period or forget it, right? So you become more efficient. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and it's, it's almost nice because it then, you know, if you have that little bit of framework, you can, you can kind of set it up exactly as you need it and just try and be really productive in those three days for sure. But I do like to work on a deadline as well. I, I enjoy that. When you write a, a song or when you, I shouldn't say, when you finish a song where you go, this is album ready. Um, at what point do you play it for your partner? Like at what point do you go, I want you to hear something or, or like, where does that come in? Ooh, honestly, she, she would be like, never, but that's not true. Like <laughs> right before I'm going into the studio, I will share the, the, cause I, everything I write is just me and my guitar. So usually kind of when I know the studio time is booked and I know that I have a batch of like, you know, 15 to 20 songs that I like, uh, then I will start to farm them out to my partner and to my friends and to industry colleagues to be like, okay. I've written these 20 songs. I mostly like all of them. Um, I want you to, if you have a minute, just listen to them, tell me what you think, which ones are your favorite, which ones don't work with you and why. Um, Cause I really, I like that feedback. Do you ever get surprised where someone says this one just didn't land for me at all. And this one did. Totally. I mostly get surprised by songs that I'm like, eh, this one's okay. And people are like, I really like this. I'm like, oh, okay. So then I might go give something more attention that I hadn't and that happened a few times with this record so that's always really fun are you good at taking a note like in in the studio with a producer or someone says hey listen like i think we got to make different choices here are you pretty open or do you or do you tend to like kind of defend the idea no i'm really really into that i love the collaborative piece and i love to like i love to push myself i love to learn uh really the only thing i can get really you know specific about is um is the lyric stuff. And I'm, I'm not finicky about it. If a better lyric is, is thrown out, I'm never too proud to take it and give away, you know, the 10% to whoever, whatever. But there are there, if I feel like the lyric is not, if I don't like it, the lyric won't change. But I'm, I don't think I've ever had that happen, quite honestly, that I've uh, been that staunchly stuck on something. Um, yeah, it sometimes can be tough when someone says like, you know, we've got to change this. And I, but I do think that ultimately, they want the best version of you. So like, it's not, right, it's, a, it's not a personal attack. It's like, hey, we can make this, we have we have the same interests in mind. Oh, big time, yeah. And it's like, yeah. really, that's why you bring a producer in. It's not to have them tell you how great you are. It's like for them to be like, let's make this better. Right. It's already good, but let's make it awesome. And I love that, that's so fun. I was talking to Maya Sharp about her relationship with Bonnie Ray, and it's sort of, and I, and I, I always think about in terms of, getting a chance to meet or work or be friend with people that you really admire. Um, has that happened to you? And was that sort of like surreal? <laughs> like a yeah. I feel like that happens all the time in this business. It's like, eventually you kind of realize how small it actually is in Americana folk and well, in, in everything, but yeah, I mean, it's happened to me a lot over the years at different levels, but um I got to meet Katie Lang and like, I wouldn't consider her a friend now, but I get to like, you know, she checks in on me every now and again, which is really cool. And like, you know, William Prince is a guy who was like super, super heavy at promoting me and being such a kind friend. And now we're, we're buddies, which is so cool. There's so many 
people that just like you know um event I, like I would watch them on stage and think like oh it's so cool and then a year later we're backstage at the same festival and you know your cheers and beers so that's that's pretty cool I like when that happens but it is it is always a little surreal yeah and isn't KD from your province isn't she from she's from like really close to Calgary where I grew up yeah, yeah. so she, so you must have been like she was on your radar for sure as a kid big time and like well not even as a kid but like a, a young adult for sure and uh I opened a, a couple shows for her in 2017 and that was when you know we met obviously and she was just so sweet and so uh so kind to me and and very encouraging which was like she didn't have to be but she kind of you know made a point to be like oh I really think you're going places and I was like that's so nice you know it's just nice when, yeah. when people take that two seconds so it I mean that helped me immensely I've done this podcast for a long time. No one's ever said, you know, Katie Lang checks in on me. <laughs> Never heard that sentence before. Yeah, I mean, not often, but she does. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's neat. Was there um, music that you listened to growing up that might surprise people? Did punk rock do anything for you? Did you go down, like, did you ever go into those alleys? Oh, yeah. Like, well, I mean, I grew up, you know, in the early 2000s. So there was like, I listened to a lot of bad pop music, but then I worked at a record store for, you know, five years right before I got big into touring. And so I really dove into like punk and post-punk and like just everything. I wanted to just like really get a lot on my palate, but uh, I listened, I used to listen to a lot of rap. Um, I got, yeah, I was really into traditional country, obviously, but I really liked the sort of post-punky like new order kind of stuff too so yeah there's def there's definitely i listened to all kinds i feel like um that might surprise people know that you listen to new order i think that's really cool i love new order i mean you know i like ian curtis better but i like i like new order and i like i yeah all that stuff has such cool textural elements and cool songwriting that all of it translates to country in my mind because country is just the most simplified version of that that's really interesting. I'd love to hear a country uh, version of uh, a perfect kiss or uh, love oh, the Jelani's. Yeah, that's sick. That'd be cool. Oh, it'd be so cool. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. I never made that that um, that association, but I know what you I know what you mean. Yeah, it's just that it's neat. It's and I also find that like synths are popping up in country a lot right now and in folk, like that songwriter I really like, John Moreland. He had put out a record in 2020 that had just like. A, crap load of synth all over it and I was like that's so cool and then I got really into the war on drugs in you know 2016 or whatever and I was like this is like Bob Dylan with a bunch of synths so I just I, yeah it, it naturally really appeals to me the sort of blending of of genres because they all go so nicely with country I think how experimental are you willing to get with your own work like would, would we ever see something along the lines of that with feature albums Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love, I love uh, like Sharon Bennett whose work is super inspiring to me because she kind of has already gone there. So I probably wouldn't go the same places, but uh, definitely I will always be into like trying new stuff, new stuff on in the country genre for sure. That's really cool. I mean, say what you will about, about Taylor Swift, whether, whatever period of, of her, you know, music you like or don't, but she has been very experimental in terms of the, the records she's made, right? Because there's been like country albums, there's like a pop album, there's a, a, an alt folk album or two of them actually. That's kind of and, cool. And people loved it. Like the alt folk records, I couldn't believe how much people love them. And I, 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 because she's a great songwriter. And I know that like not all of her stuff, not even close to all of her stuff is stuff that I like. 
but I can acknowledge that like she's a person who really likes to go after a song and hear it in a bunch of different ways and I think that's super cool yeah do you go see live bands a lot do you still even though it's like your job do you, you will go see totally I love I love going to see bands and I love I just love listening to music I'm so happy you did this. Thank you for, for this chat. Sorry to throw you all these questions at once. Oh, man, it's a lot of fun. You're really cool. Thanks for making time for me. Oh, thank you. You're really cool, too. And I love your record. And I hope you come to California because I really think that people will just go crazy for you. Well, I will. And when I do, come on down. I'll buy you a beer. All right. Deal. Sweet. love to hear her do some new order songs that'd be so cool mariel buckley that was a great conversation i really enjoyed it i love her new album please pick it up everywhere i used to be is the name of it mariel buckley.com m-a-r-i-e-l buckley b-u-c-k-l-e-y.com go there pick up the album pick up some mariel merch there's some cool stuff on there you will not be sorry uh, go to alexgreenonline.com to find out what's happening with me. There will be a new book. There will be announcements about that new book very soon. So get ready for the Alex Green has a new book immersion experience. <laughs> it's gonna be, it's gonna be utterly relentless. I guarantee that it'll just be punishing, a punishing couple of months of self promotion. So I'm just preparing you for it now. Follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor or follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Don't forget, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and find human beings on the planet with whom you can share this podcast experience. Thank you for spreading the word. Don't forget to check out Bombshell Radio at bombshellradio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. You make me tick, so thank you for being there week in and week out. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Mariel Buckley's Neon Blue. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Saw dust on the floors, wouldn't tell.